brothers and sisters, it's a big day. It is a big day today. We have brought the heavy guns. We have brought out of of, of hiding payday in the uh, in the Texas compound in which she lives now. Our friend Bonnie Lewis is with us today uh, for for an epic takedown of John Piper. We are so oh, no. very excited. Now, um, uh, Bonnie, hello. What? All right. So so Andy, you're in Pacific Coast time. Yes. Right. So it is eight o'clock. Yep. Bonnie, you're where? In Austin, so Central, ten o'clock. That's not near Chip and Joanna Gaines. I had no idea there were other cities in Texas other than Waco. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I feel great about it. It's kind of close, and I always text Cece when we go to Waco. Oh, you do. Yeah, she's so okay. excited about it. Is there yeah, like so a, you, is there like a fixer upper tour where you can like you yeah. know the, like an actual physical map you can drive around and look at all the houses they've done? Doing the fixer upper tour with two kids in tow sounds horrible. <laughs> is there? But is that a thing? Is that a real thing? I think it is. I haven't done it, but like people okay. from all over the world there, so I'm assuming it is. Okay. Wow, that's um, that's weird. Okay, uh, and what's the what's the weather there today in today's Austin? Kind of warm. It's like 58 or so. Nice. Nice. Not bad. All right, I'll lead the. I'll lead the the parade with cold at 34 degrees and, and partly cloudy. Yep. Right here, guys. You in. Right here. Yep. Are you in like 92 and sunny? Yeah, it's it's the same. It's sunny right now. It's probably maybe – I think it's probably like low 50s. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. So uh, for those of you that are new to the podcast, Bonnie has uh, been – uh, featured on several episodes. She's uh, been a dear friend of mine for 10, 11, 12 years. Um, we've served together in several churches. Uh, she's an incredible teacher. And uh, I thought her perspective would be incredibly relevant for our topic today. And and let me just say, well, before we get into the topic, we have better things to do in life than read the Calvinist websites and throw fits <laughs> at what they say. We have better things to do. The purpose of Vox is not just to just sit and critiquing, but doggone it, they've given us some good stuff. And so we we are very grateful um, uh, for the stuff they put out there. It gives us loads to talk about. So, Bonnie, what are you, what are you doing these days? You moved to Texas two years ago. Uh, like six months ago. That's what I said is six months ago. Two years, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we're just kind of figuring out. We are trying to get settled, bought a house, figure out life with two kids. Um, and, I, yeah, I'm doing some writing, working on a project. Um, and, yeah, I'm just kind yeah. of figuring it out. Yeah. What What took you to Austin? <laughs> um, if it's not Chip and Joanna. It's not Chip and Joanna. You know, we um, – I felt like we all – like. Cy and I, my husband and I, felt like it was too fast-paced in California. Yep. And also, we didn't want to grow, like, have our kids grow up in that fast-paced environment. Um, but then also, we have certain things we wanted to accomplish, like, on our own. And we just knew the amount of time that we had to work in order to make a living to live there, we would never yeah. be able to accomplish those things. Got it. So we moved. So Cy, so Cy's becoming a bull rider and... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So I'm taking up a lot of his time. Because <laughs> that's all you do in Texas. Right. <laughs> and you knit leather chaps that's all. in your spare time. 
That's it. Um, well, Bonnie, we're we're glad to have you. We're grateful for you. Uh, you could find Bonnie on um, on Facebook, on Twitter. On Facebook, not Twitter. Uh, that's that's what I said. Only Facebook and Instagram. I'm on there though. Oh, okay. That one's okay. Yeah. You can buy my leather chaps. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Moving on. Um, so so this uh, this hit the internet. Um, I think it was on Monday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, from John Piper's website, and um, it's uh, question. The question is, dear Pastor John. I'm a seminary student at an orthodox but interdenominational school of the United States. I share your complementarian understanding of God's design for male and female roles and relationships in the home and church. Now, for those of you not familiar with this whole discussion or think it's just completely lame or you're brand new to the whole church thing, Christians love to argue with each other. And we're glad to kind of facilitate that MO today on the podcast. Uh, There is a view that is called complementarianism, that, that sees men and women are equal in worth, um, but they have, because of the differences unique to each gender, they have um, specific roles that they are to play in the home uh, and in the church. And, um, and, and, and any variance from those roles is a cause for concern and kind of a usurping of uh, what they would call the natural created order. And so, so this, uh, this young man, um, certainly a woman, <laughs> this is not a woman, uh, this young man who's writing yeah. the question um, is assuming that, that this is a, a school of thought espoused by John Piper and others. Um, so so uh, complementarian understanding of God's design for male and female means that males lead and that females respond and submit. Um, that doesn't mean that females aren't competent, doesn't mean that females aren't amazing, doesn't mean that females aren't gifted. It just means that God kind of established an order and um, and that men are over the or they're the head of, of women, um, uh, to use their language. So uh, here's the thing. On that basis, he says, on the basis of complementarianism, I have recently doubted whether or not my seminary ought to allow women to teach pastors in training. What do you think? Should women be hired as seminary professors? What is your best case? Hold on. I just got another email. Oh, I got American Express. End of year summary. Okay, excellent. Perfect. Now, should women be hired as seminary professors? What is your best case? Now, Bonnie. Yeah. I just need a one-word answer. That's why you're here. Should women be hired as seminary professors? Yes. Okay. Are you a woman? Yes. Did you go to seminary? Yes. What uh, and and was that seminary mostly male? Or exclusively male? Like what percent? It wasn't exclusively if you were there, of course. Yeah, I would say it was, it was probably 70-30. Oh, 70% male, 30% female. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty good. I will say I before my seminary like the one I went to, I went to a previous one. Oh man. And that one was 90-10. Hmm. That one was 90-10. And what what was it like for you as because you you were if you know Bonnie she she's she's young and then she looks even younger so so you were what early early twenties mid twenties when you were going early twenty I mean I think I was twenty one right hmm. and she looked and this is a, a, a sincere compliment and she looked probably twelve. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Am I right, Easy. Bonnie? Do you do you disagree with this? <laughs> no, nail. You hit the nail on the head. Um, so what was that like for you? So you went to the, the we'll call it Seminary X for the male chromosome. Um, <laughs> if that's the male one, we'll call it Seminary X is the first one, and then Seminary Y is the one that dramatically increased the percentage to thirty uh, percent female. So what was that like for you? Well, you know, it was, it was a odd experience. I, I had I, the first seminary, Seminary X. I was there a very short time. Um, oh, I it. wanted to study a Master's of Theology or get my MDiv, so to be like a ordained pastor. Um, I was told I could not get my MDiv, that I could get my theology degree, but that I would experience a lot of like just it would be an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's that mean? An uphill battle in what way? Not academically. No, not academically, um, but more the seminary itself had like an unofficial statement that they did just in their rhetoric and like the way the professors talked and the students talked, they did not believe that women should lead. And so if you were going to get a master's of theology, you could go on to be a pastor or you could go on to get a name. So the thought was, if you're going to do that, um, you will be questioned along the way about what you're going to do with your degree and why you feel Uh. like you should get it. So, so on the one hand, they told you you can't get an MDiv, which is kind of the standard degree for pastoral ministry. Right. On the other hand, here's this other one, but and they told you this. This is going to be tough because the culture here is kind of going to question why you want that degree. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I didn't want that. I went to a very liberal arts, um, like very, like totally different undergrad experience, and I was hoping to just learn a ton. So I thought I don't want an uphill battle in this degree. So I ended up like signing up for a different degree for an apologetic degree. Okay. And I started it and I just realized like, this is not how I want to study scripture. And also this isn't like how I uh, feel called to ministry. And so that's when I left and joined the other ministry, like Mm. applied. Got it. But But they were willing, they were willing to take your money. As, and willing to support me as long as I was getting a degree that would uh, put me in a role that would be uh, like uh, not a lead pastor somewhere. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I was very okay. much accepted in the other program. And um, like it just, I just was like, no, this is not for me. And so I okay. ditched out. All right. So the apologetics wasn't going to work. So you went to seminary Y. Mm hmm. Oh, wait, you want me to say what that second one is? I love my seminary, and I like tell everyone to go. Okay, unless unless you've got really bad, like I just want to hear about what it was like to be a young woman, and I wanted to protect your ability to do that by not naming the seminary. So you tell me if you're gonna if what you're gonna say would be upsetting. Because I, I would say so. I went to Fuller Seminary for my yep. for seminary Y, and my experience there was very positive from all the faculty and staff. Okay. All of them were so um, kind. They were accepting, but they were also encouraging. Okay. And very much, I felt like, I don't feel like I was treated any different um, from the staff. I don't feel, all the ones were my first seminary class. Um, it was a night class. It was like 6.30 p.m. So naturally, I was like, oh, I have all day, and it was summer. So I went to the beach, and then I just left the beach and went straight to class. 
and I had um, like, you know, big sunglasses and like these big earrings on. And I had just gotten a pink case for my um, <laughs> my computer. It was a total legally blonde moment. And I came in there and the professor was like so sweet and nice. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. This is actually for seminary. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Um, but and then at the end of the class, he was like, you know what? I totally misjudge you. And like, you proved me wrong. And, but that was just like a funny moment. Everything else from like professors was, they were very much on board with women. Okay. I will say that's just because a seminary has a certain view that the people attending the seminary don't necessarily share that view. Mm-hmm. Oh, got it. So my negative experiences um, were mostly from, I would say, students in the seminary and then also the surrounding culture of other church members that knew I was going to seminary. Hmm. Got it. Got it. And and it, it was all based around you shouldn't go because were there women were there women teaching at the seminary? I'm assuming. Yes, there were women teachers. I did not have one. Okay. But there are women teachers there. Um so like for example it was mostly you shouldn't get your masters of theology and I wanted to get my masters of divinity. Um, but there was a lot of talk of like, you shouldn't get that because you can't be a lead pastor. So can't, that's, it's a waste of your time. You know, you can use your, you're going to have to only use your talents in this way. So there's no way around it for you. So you might as well not even try. And so I didn't, yeah, so I got my master's theology and I really regret that. I regret that I didn't get my MDiv because I, I, you know, for MDiv, you get a lot of preaching practice. I would have really liked that. You get, I already knew Greek, but um, I would have loved to learn Hebrew, and so I'm mad. I I regret that I listened to that and I didn't. I didn't do it, you know. And that pressure came from other students. Yeah, from other students in seminary at times, um, and then also just from the the church culture that I was a part of at the time. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah, but I well, and like what's so? Here's a perfect example. So we had a preaching class. So they teach you, um, like. You know, you've done it, but like you, how to exegete the sermon, and then you have to go in there, and you, and then they grade you. It's like awful. You're like in this tiny room with ten people. I mean, it's horrible, and they film you. And so, um, we had to do three different sermons throughout the quarter, right. and um, I just knew walking up who in the class thought women could teach and who didn't, because right. males that didn't um, don't look at you in the eye, mm. or they are um, making noises or they're rolling their eyes or they pull out their phones or whatever it is. And the ones that do are treating you like a human, right? Right. They're looking in the eye, they're being respectful, they're being kind. And so everybody had to write down um, their critiques at the end of your... Oh my goodness. Oh, great. (laughs) I had some that said, um, if you weren't a woman... This is what the compliments I would give you. <laughs> oh, come on. Like, oh my gosh. Um, but I will say by the end of it, two people in the class like came up to me and like, can I talk to you after? It's like after the third sermon, I'm like, sure. And they were like, I have to tell you, like, I will be honest. I want to apologize for my first critiques. Um, but I like did not think women could teach. But after hearing you, the whole yeah. worked on my heart and I had to go back. And like this semester has been about me and like the Holy Spirit changing my mind. And I do think women can teach. And so thank you for bring, being brave and bold or whatever. But it was, it's just, we, it was a weird, vulnerable moment for me to be like, 
uh, I just, I'm not sure how I feel that I, this was even a thing for us. Right. <laughs> right. We couldn't right. talk to each other until this moment, you know? Yeah. Cause I think what I learned too is it's not even so much that they're going, Oh, we don't think you should. There was a real underlying feeling of you shouldn't. And because you are, you are refusing to like submit to the Bible. So then there was like all these other things about me and my beliefs that right. people just assume just because I was a woman who wanted to teach. And be a yeah. Dang. Yeah. Dang. Well said. Well said, Andy. Right. I mean, it's, it just sounds like the only book you might be able to teach is like Ruth. <laughs> right. I mean, totally. Or, such or, ridiculous Proverbs, assumptions. or Proverbs 31. Yes. You can or teach Proverbs, Proverbs 31, 31, Bonnie. For sure. Um, oh, can you guys hear me? Oh, there you are. Yeah, you're cutting in and out a little bit. Oh, there. You okay? Yeah, we yep. got you. Are, are you okay? I, I, I managed. I think, uh, <laughs> like, so from a perspective from the professors, like, I never have felt more welcome. If it wasn't for them, I totally would have quit. Like, what? okay, I'm out of here. Um, but I will say this, like, I look back on it, and I basically spent those three years just in full-on anxiety attack the whole time hmm. because it felt like I constantly felt like I had to question if what I was doing was right, right. and if it was wrong what did that mean um, and then in addition to that like well do I just ignore this actual call I do feel like I have on my life then I am being disobedient um, but then the second thing was there was a real pressure like within church culture, people in the seminary, and they would almost like quiz me, like come mm. up and ask me questions like, what do you think about? Now I have no problem being like, I don't know. <laughs> like I'm stuck or I'm not sure or maybe this, that. But back then I felt a real pressure that I had to know an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Validated as like a serious person that had a brain and was a human. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is, at least for Seminary Y, did they have an official position? Did Seminary Y have an official position on this issue? Good question. They did. Yeah, you know what? They used okay. to not. So they used to say women weren't allowed. Then in the 70s, they changed their official position. Yes. Or as we call it, they became liberal. <laughs> yes. Bunch of liberal hippies over there smoking their weed and... Oh, Andy, don't bring weed into this, my friend. It's <laughs> because that seminary like ordained different denominations. You had a ton of different people, yeah. which right. was great, obviously. I think that's a great then, thing. Yeah, it, which was awesome. But that's why it was so diverse in terms of students' opinions. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. So there was this underlying resistance, this underlying pressure um, against blessing you in what you were pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I want to kind of have that, Bonnie. I mean, I'm so sorry. Uh, obviously, you know, I um, we would we would disagree both on practical and biblical grounds with their assessment. Um, but I but I kind of wanted to I, I wanted to hear a bit about because because seminary is this thing where if you've not been there, it's kind of tough to describe. It's university, but it's for pastoral ministry or, uh, you know, theological training or spiritual formation. And there's some hugely great parts of a seminary education, no question about it. 
but there is a there are subcultures that kind of develop around these schools that that are you know that are interesting sometimes and um and so so i i thought that because i knew you had such an mixed experience at fuller not because of the institution but because of just people coming from different perspectives uh i thought i thought it would be really interesting to kind of go through piper's response to this question about women being seminary professors hear a bit of your story and then like go through and say well i mean what do we think of this because i think one of the very practical practical matters is that uh, I think if we've learned anything the last 12 months is that just a group of guys in charge of something isn't always the most trustworthy uh, expression of, uh, of you know, awesomeness. And, um, and so it would have been interesting for you to have, you know, for you to have had somebody who was female and who was um, uh, expert in their field as a professor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if those professors were avoided uh, by by certain guys or whatever it is. So anyway, I, this is to me is a much bigger issue than just you know can women teach in seminary. This really goes back to the heart of some huge things we talk about. So if it's okay with you, B, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Piper's answer, and and then um, we'll we'll respond to it. All right, sound good, Andy Bear? No more no more weed. Comments from you, buddy. You're <laughs> the only hair. thing. It's the only thing that's going to get me through this next twenty minutes. <laughs> oh my good lord, that is horrible. California He's baby. Kidding. <laughs> He's kidding, boys and girls. Although if you look at his hair right now, I mean, well, it's, it's all it's right? all tucked up in in here. But I, I guess know, that's the, that's the Rasta right now. So, <laughs> all right. Let's so, go. Uh, so so um, Mr. Piper is a doctor. He does he have a doctorate? I don't know. Okay, so Piper, uh, he says, I'm going to answer this question as best I can on the assumption that the Bible teaches that churches should be led by a team of spiritual, humble, biblically qualified men. Um, So that's complementarianism, and that's one of the implications of it. In other words, I'm going to base my argument about the seminary on the assumption of complementarianism which I think is not merely an assumption, but a well-founded historic understanding of Scripture. It is an historic understanding of Scripture. Well-founded, we would take issue a little bit with that. Just to be clear, he says, the issue is not whether women should attend seminary in one of its programs and get the best biblical grounding possible. So amen to that. The issue is whether women should be models, mentors, and teachers for those preparing for a role that is biblically designed for spiritual men. That's the way I'm posing the question. Right? So, now, now I got to say this. I got to say this about our friend, John Piper. I love, I have so much respect that he is consistent with this. Like <laughs> True. Like, one of the big knocks I have on the way complementarianism is practiced is it's there's just all sorts of hypocrisy and inconsistency mm-hmm. we'll have women lead men but we'll call them directors yeah totally uh, uh and not pastors um you know i mean come on or or yeah women can teach overseas i mean what a racist thing that is they're not <laughs> good enough they're not good enough for us right yeah <laughs> but right. you know those who are kind of maybe might understand a thing or two <laughs> we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll give them the women so yeah i mean it, it's just you know 
it's just you have women writing Bible commentaries, and you should never pick one up then if you believe women cannot teach the Bible. I mean, it's just it's just it's totally inconsistent. So one thing I really love about Piper is that Piper really desires to be ruthless, regardless of if it's tone deaf to the greater world or not, to be ruthlessly consistent to the complementarian view. So, of course, he's going to answer it this way. Of course. Um, so his issue is whether women should be models, mentors, and teachers for those preparing for a role that is biblically designed for spiritual men. An interesting question, Bonnie. How well prepared are men to minister to a church full of women um, and men, but but 50% of their congregations are female? How prepared is a man who's only been prepared by other men to, uh, to engage in, uh, in pastoral ministry? Uh, I think by the level of affairs and infidelity and abuse, I'm not thinking that's, we're doing a great job. No, the number's not high there. <laughs> and it can't, so, be, it doesn't make, it, it doesn't make logical sense. So that's where I have a hard time. I get that he, um, I agree. I think it's great that he is, you know what he's going to say, yeah. right? Like I'm, yep. I'm not questioning. I wonder what Piper thinks on this issue. Um, <laughs> Right. But it logically, it's tough for me because, um, like you said, and you can probably speak from experience here, if you're only trained by men and like this is whatever, and you aren't aware necessarily of how what women are even thinking in your congregation bef- besides what a man is telling you she's thinking, right? then like you actually have no clue. Right. I mean, I would say in general men think that about women anyway. Like, I can't read her mind. I don't know what she's even thinking. <laughs> right. So then on this other level of, like, how the Bible's hitting them just because of the way we're wired, et cetera, and, like, how they're reading things, like, if you are not trained or prepared in that, then I, to me, that's a huge hole then trying to go and pastor women. Well, not only that, but in some forms of complementarianism, and I, and I think this is an unavoidable implication, is that men are somehow spiritually superior than women. And now, again, no one would say that. No one teaches that. You know, Piper would disagree with that. Um, but, but I think, you know, as you experienced, I mean, there is that, there is that real implication, even though, yes, it's different and women, you know, lead in the home and blah, 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 blah. There is a very real implication that, well, men lead the church and women, you're great, but you really don't have a say. So it's not just, go ahead. I was going to say, and I think that stems from at least what I have heard again and again is like, because you, you can't be trusted. Like, and they take it back to Genesis. This is what I've heard. In Genesis three, it was Eve who was deceived. And so when you read scripture, you're you will probably be deceived and then thus you will lead everyone else. And Paul, and Paul references that in, in the very infamous Timothy passage. So there's two references to what is being said there. No, 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 no. Don't do that. I saw what you just did. Oh, come on. I have bad breath. Like we could smell it. (laughs) I know what you mean though. I brushed my teeth right before we. I'm not going to chomp. I'm not going to chomp, Andy. If I chomp, I'll throw it out. (laughs) Okay. My lord, I need to I need to I'm turn off it. the HD. <laughs> All right, buddy, keep going. Well, I just wanted to say, like, um, but what you're saying in terms of being spiritually, like, there, this idea that like men are gonna 
um, not only understand what they're learning more, but because they're just um, in a different like spiritual space or have a different spiritual capacity than women, they can teach it better, preach it better, whatever, pastor it better. But that's hard for me, like you're saying, with the numbers of affairs right. and, you know, and so it's tough for well, me. abuse but, particularly. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. So, okay. So, well, I mean, we're not even critiquing yet. <laughs> we're just reacting. <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, I mean... Is a is a well rounded man. Let's say let's say he's right. Okay. Just for the sake of argument, I would still make the case that to minister in our pluralistic, sexually confused, um, crazy, crazy a world that we live in, you have to have women pouring into you and mentoring you in order to understand, to mentor, to teach, to minister to, to work with staff uh, who are female. I mean, it, it just as a practical, let's say he's right, I still think it's a little bit absurd to say that the best way to prepare men to minister to women is by surrounding them with men. Yeah. I just don't know that that's true, even if, if complementarianism is right. Right. Now, Piper says, Bonnie, you can hear in the previous sentence another assumption about the nature of what I think seminary teaching should be. Namely, seminary is not just the transfer of information. Machines can do that. But machines can't form a man for the pastoral role by being those who, in their teaching, embody that role and model that role and inspire for that role through their active involvement as elder qualified men in the church. So the implication is, of course, because women can't hold an elder qualified position in the church, how can they mentor the men who will? Right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> she's holding back. <laughs> that is the implication. I see what he's saying. Yep, yep. Let so I'm I'm skipping several paragraphs. He has another another point of argument that isn't as germane. And then this is kind of three paragraphs here, and this is the end. I mean, he wasn't doing a thorough exegesis of this, so this was just him responding to a Q Q and A. Let me put it another way in the form of a question. If it is unbiblical to have women as pastors, how can it be biblical to have women who function in formal teaching and mentoring capacities to train and fit pastors for the very calling from which the mentors themselves are excluded? I don't think that works. So that's that's a huge point. So, so how can you mentor, body? how can women mentor men for offices that they themselves can never hold? Well, so, you can't unless you let them hold it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I would even say, even if that were true, I would still want the Bill Brights of the world and the Billy Grahams of the world to have been mentored by Henrietta Mears. You know, I would still want, I would still want them to have been exposed to incredibly gifted women in virtue of the fact that they're going to be leading churches who are full of incredibly gifted women. Well, and like women, the history in general is that like we become creative, right? Like people are like, you can't do this. And we're like, well, then we'll just do it this way. So like right. my experience has been like largely people saying you can't be a pastor, but I consider myself very pastoral in life and relationships. Yeah. And so there are plenty of women who, while they might not hold like that pastoral title, like if they were allowed to come alongside and model and mentor what being pastoral means right. outside of church walls, 
I think the men and then the churches would have greatly benefited from that. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, so let me just finish up with Piper. If you strive to carve up teaching in such a way that it's suitable for women, it ceases to be suitable as seminary teaching. Say that again? Okay. If you, so, so the argument is there's a difference between teaching in a church and teaching in seminary. Piper's saying that's inconsistent. If you, if you are, are taking the idea of teaching and carving it in a way that makes teaching in seminary suitable for women, then it ceases to be seminary teaching. Oh. Because it's not appropriate. Okay. Make sense? The issue, as always, is not the competence of women, teachers, or intelligence, or knowledge, or pedagogical skills. Pedagogical skills. Uh, it's never competence. The, that's not the issue in the home or in leadership. It's not the issue in church leadership. It's not the issue in seminary leadership. The issue here at seminary, at the seminary level is largely the nature of a seminary teaching office. What do we aim to be? Is it conceived as an example and model and embodiment of pastoral vision or not? That will lead us in how we staff our seminary faculty. Here you go, Bonnie. Don't go. So, no, so, so, so I have... Thanks, but no, no. Then, then why don't I? Why don't I? Why don't I start out with some critiques? Okay. And uh, and I, I want you to add to them, as uh, as you see fit. Um, I I would quibble just a little with uh, the idea that seminary is primarily the place where you are formed as a pastor. I think you were formed as a pastor in the context of a local church, and that is the place of formation. I think seminary is an appendix to that. Piper elevates seminary to like this uber, it's like Jedi Knight training. And that's just not true. I mean, that's just having been there, that is not true. Most of the people that I learned from were not pastors in churches. They were professors and experts. So yes, they can hold elder qualified offices in a church, but none of them did. I mean, there were a couple exceptions and that's awesome. But I just, I think he's elevating seminary to away from what the primary place of pastoral formation has always been, which is the local church. When you leave seminary, I left seminary with more questions than I entered. And (laughs) I did. And when you leave, you're like, oh, now, like, this is where it gets real. Right. Like, I felt like I had just, okay, I've done all the prep work. Now I'm ready. What percentage, what percentage um, of pastoral ministry that you've been involved with was even addressed in your seminary education? Oh, my gosh. I would say um, I can think of one time. Where there was a specific application. Actually, yeah, one class and then one time in a, it, I had a spiritual formation class and that was addressed. And then one um, other class, he had one question on it. That was our final and it was addressed there. So nice. I would say 10%. Okay. I mean, a very small amount. Well, don't, right. it, it's interesting to me too, because with the last statement that Piper says about if if you were taught by a woman in seminary, then therefore it's it's not of seminary quality in his eyes. So then... What about men who might have gone to seminary Y who learned under a woman that then go and decide to work for Piper? Does he how does he then view what they've received? Does he think it's legit? Like does he just throw it out and say, "Well, no, that right. that class isn't good enough. You're going to have to go to this other seminary and get taught by a bunch of dudes for me to see it as qualifiable." 
like I'm I'm curious if then there's an inconsistency there because it's like if he's saying that then he has to also then throw out all men who've been taught under a woman in some format and and yeah. and call that and basically say that's not legit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Why don't you call him up? Yeah, I'll do that right now on Twitter. Me and let's yes. me and Piper go. Ted, I'm sure he'll get back to me. <laughs> no, would you? I think you should throw it out. I think that's a very fair question. It is a fair question. Okay. Get on the Twitter, Andy. Let's go. <laughs> get on the tweets. <laughs> well, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm I'm going to assume at some point in his career he's read a book by a woman, right? And but like, what happens then when he's like, I'm learning something? Is he like? Oh no! Or is he like? <laughs> well, I would say I would say no, no, no. I would say that uh, based on what I'm reading, and I don't know for sure, but it, I think he would say no. Of course, I learned from women, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But in a, so you're saying just his point is more of an elevated seminary context. Yes, and yeah. and because seminary is designed to create elder qualified men, and women cannot be elder qualified men, therefore women should not be forming, shaping, modeling elder qualified men. Mm-hmm. My my one of my responses is well, I I I don't think that's true, because the primary place of formation pastorally is the local church, and the local church, old, young, rich, poor, male, female. Man, I just don't think it's it's that black and white. I don't think seminary. I think that's a that is an almost idolatrous view of the purpose of seminary. Um, uh, you know, it elevates it to like I said, the Jedi knighthood of of Christendom. I just think it's crazy. Um, now, now chime in, Bonnie. I'm just punching through issues I had. Uh, obviously, we the so first issue first issue is I I don't know that that's the primary place of formation for pastors. Secondly, um. We, of course, would take issue with the assumption underlying the question and the answer. I mean, uh, duh, this isn't, we're not going to get into full like egalitarian mode here, but we don't agree that that's what the Bible teaches. Right. And so when you're, when you're in Genesis um, three and when you're in second Timothy, I mean, I think all of the restrictions, and it's clear that Paul does put restrictions on the ministry of women. The issue is why? Yeah. Is it because there is some basic gender role difference uh, between men and women that render women in some way uh, unfit for, for that office? Or, as we suggest, was Paul operating as a missionary and seeking to create the best possible ground for which the gospel could grow? And in, 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 in the restrictions that he does give... Um, whereas Piper absolutizes those for all time and everywhere, I think there is much more evidence that they were for the sake of promoting the gospel. Right? We we would agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have we have podcasted that if you go back in the archives, Miss Bonnie and I. Yeah. Now now Bonnie, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is the obvious counterexample biblically to? Get, to um to to have a to have a woman discipling a pastor can you think off the top of your head what do you mean what did what, okay. I don't question all right all right that was an ill-formed question so instead of asking it i will just declare it to be true um there is this and i want to read i want to want to read a bit from first uh, corinthians um there there was this man named apollos who um, was a pretty big name 
uh, in the early church. And when you read, when you first meet him, you read about who his mentors were. And so I'm just going to read from Acts 18 a little bit, because obviously this is an address. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, like you do, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Uh, so we're introduced first to the man and then referenced his wife Priscilla. Now that that's the way it goes in the first century. The husband is always named before the wife. And when there are two men, the greater is always named before the lesser. So early in Paul's conversion, Paul is a nobody and Barnabas was a big deal. So, so early in Acts, they're called Barnabas and Paul. At some point, Paul's ministry explodes, and now it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas. Paul's always named first. Right. All right? So it's not just the order here of the, the, the man before the wife, but it's also the greater before the lesser. Yeah. Right? Yep. Thank you for agreeing so graciously, Miss <laughs> Bonnie. Now, um. Paul went to see these two because he was a tent maker as they were, and he stayed and worked with them. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and, and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So he's flipped them. They arrived in Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla mm. and Aquila. Now, again, in English, we're like, this doesn't make sense. Da, 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 da. I mean, it just seems like no big point. But, but that's not how naming couples, uh, couplets worked. In the first century, um, the, the man would always be named before the woman. The greater would always be named before the lesser. And now we flipped Priscilla and Aquila. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus where they were. He was a learned man, thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Drop mic. Yeah. Or I'm what, just what saying. if you know, just put the mic down gently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, am I right, Bonnie? Am I misreading this? No, no, no. You are so right. And I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you were asking when you first asked me. I know, I'm dumb. Yeah. Like, especially what about that phrase, more adequately? Right. And I'm saying, like, there's a sense that there was these holes, and they're like, hey, let us help you. Yeah. Right. And why wouldn't, oh, yeah. so why wouldn't were... it have just been Aquila brought him into his home and taught it to yeah. him more accurately? Right. I yep. mean, even if, even if Priscilla was secondary, it would still suggest that there is some form of partnership yeah. in which that's created. So, yep. Yeah. Well, and he uses the plural. They invited him and, ex and they explained to him. Right. So, so. Even if you're Piper, the far more consistent position is, okay, well, then male, men and women should teach together then, right. right? Which would still be a huge step forward. Totally. Yeah. Right? Just to have male and female professors both in class. I mean, we take that. Um, but, but again, I mean, these passages are kind of explained away or ignored or whatever, where you're just like, no, it seems really clear that Priscilla was kind of leading this thing. And, um, and she was teaching Apollos, who, who was really used, or uh, Junia, who was a female apostle, right? Or, or um, uh, Phoebe, who was uh, the deacon that probably read Romans to the church in Rome. 
I mean, you're just like, really? So she read the sacred scripture over the church. Really? But really? they can't do a thing. Right. Yeah. Well, no, no. She right. can read it. Remember, she can read it, but she can't teach it. No, but that's but they were equivalent. But they right. were equivalent back then. Yeah, okay. back then it was the same same thing. But all right, it's it is hard for somebody who is as consistent and and something about complementarians that I've noticed is that they have a sort of like, well, no, this is what the Bible says, and I've done my due diligence and I've done my work, but then these types of texts are really left out of the argument. Right. I mean, think about think about just the picture you get in the New Testament. The first witnesses of the risen Jesus were women, and the first proclaimers of the resurrection were women. There were female prophets and apostles in the early church. There were female house church leaders in the early church, like Chloe and Nympha, unfortunate name. Uh, the first person to explain Paul's letter to the Romans was Phoebe, right? I mean, you're just like, come on, man. Like the NFL guys, come on, man. Um, it's just, there's no question. It was still a patriarchal culture. I mean, we see that when Paul lists, like when we read the resurrection accounts as they were written rawly, the women were totally prominent. When Paul gets a hold of the resurrection accounts 30 years later, the women are excised from them. And it was just Jesus appeared to the apostles and, you know, didn't. And so there was still a patriarchy. It was still... It was still primarily male focused, but you have these shining kind of counter examples that I just, I've not seen anyone do a great job with these. I think you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it hard to, um, cause to me, that example that you gave would be our equivalent example of like where a pastor is formed, right? It's like a real right. life situation versus right. being like, this is who can teach this in like a set of rules for a seminary or whatever. So it's tough for right. me because. I think, well, all of these rules and what you've decided is fine until the rubber meets the road, right? Right. Right. And that's where Piper's great at being consistent when other people just aren't. Because mm -hmm. Piper, when the rubber does meet the road, he will say, well, you know, um, when you're putting a male um, lawyer or like a lawyer's assistant under a female lawyer, that's, that's actually a reversing of the intended creation. So it's not just in church, but it's everywhere. So, so I love, love that he's consistent that way, but, but think that the way this thing's articulated, it's consistent with his thought, but I think his, I think some of his thoughts I would just, I would just disagree with. And, and Bonnie, let me ask you, I mean, it doesn't, it didn't sound like there was any sexual, um, I don't know, abuse or, um, uh, innuendo or anything like that in your experience, correct? No, there wasn't that um, at all. There was sometimes within the church culture, um, sometimes people were weird. Like because I was in seminary, because I had a calling or like a gifting, um, sometimes people acted like, well, then, well, you can you only have males to meet with. And like, we don't trust that. So you really can't meet with them. Got it. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. The Mike Pence rule in reverse. Yes. On the other side, on the other side, you can't meet with them because you're a young lady. Right. Not yeah. only can you not mentor them, but then you also can't even meet with them to learn from them. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So I, that's weird, right? Like, okay, like, fine. I, I don't have any women to talk to and I don't have any women to even learn from. So I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to even do it under the way you say I should. But now I'm told I can't even meet with the male pastors because I'm a girl. And so therefore everything will crumble. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. 
What advice would you have for women choosing a seminary? Yeah, actually, people write to me and ask me this question yeah. all the time. Well, I just asked it. There we go. I do tell them to steer clear of seminaries that don't have a clear position. Um, okay. I, here's the problem is that some women go to seminary not because they want to be a pastor. Some women yeah. go to seminary because they do want to be directors or they do want to, and that's fine. They're going to run children's ministry. They want to right. learn to be a missionary, whatever. Yeah, we need them so bad. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is there are women, me being one of them, that if I tried to lead those, it would be disaster. It wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my lane. It just, it would be rough. Um, right. And right. so if you have a calling to be a pastor, if you are gifted, if this is what you feel like, if I don't do this, I'm going to be disobedient, then by all means, steer clear of seminaries that do not have a clear statement Right. on men and women like being equal not only just in how we are but also in roles do you know what i mean yep, yep. And it's not like the, and sometimes i do think that you will be like well but i don't know if i believe this about like the way they handle this or i don't like these classes or it's not very popular or whatever like it really doesn't matter you do like you do not want your upbringing and trying to work out your calling to be shrouded in all these talks that like you can't do it, you're disobedient, you're not worth it. It's not it's not worth it. Right. Right. That's good. Anything else? Um That's I great. Think, yeah, I think reaching out to other women who um which is hard. I think there's not a lot. Um who have been in seminary. Um but the other thing I would say that I have recently worked through is like it's okay to decide when you're trying to figure out what it is you want to do. Like, do I want to be a pastor of, do I want to get um, ordained into a certain denomination? Do I want to be a pastor of the evangelical church? Do I want to, whatever it is, that is a path that like you need to define for yourself and then stick to it. Like I know for me, um, I felt like sometimes I got kind of shuffled into just like the normal role of like, a Christian blogger who like has an Instagram account right. and for me like and that was a safe spot for me because not many people questioned it yeah but I also always felt like that's not who I am and that's not how I've been gifted right. and so I constantly have to go okay then who am I and how have I been gifted and if I believe this to be true and I believe that it is an issue of obedience then I need to follow that and so right. I need to surround myself with other women who have also done that, and then also other men who I know have my back. Yeah, that's really like good. The fellows. Mm. <laughs> well, we're fans. I mean, I, I've said it on the podcast before. We did a big teaching class, got lots of entries for critique, and a 19-year-old Bonnie Lewis just stood head and shoulders um, above all of them. It was ridiculous. So Bonnie's been... Um, uh, an assistant, uh, she's taught, not an uh, but a research assistant, I should specify, a research assistant to me, um, and incredibly helpful. Um, she's taught at uh, churches I've led, and, and we're just thrilled that you are now in Austin, and that you are warm, and that the, is the, is the pace really less busy? Yeah, it's way okay. less busy. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's good. And, I know. Yeah? Yeah. All right, I like that. I feel like I can think clearer. Yeah. 
Well, we are thrilled that you have been with us, Miss Bonnie. Thank you for your time. You are awesome. People can find you again on Facebook and Instagram. No Twitter. No Twitter. No tweeting. All that stuff. I'm not going to tweet Piper today. But Andy, I want to hear if he tweets you back. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it out. I'll send it out and see what he says. It's hard. Like the one lingering question I have that's just kind of sitting here, and I don't, I don't know that we have answers either. But I just, I, I just wonder how does a, how does mentions of women in the roles that they were in make it out of a patriarchal culture? Like how, like how did they make it through scripture to even be in our hands today? If, if compliment, if patriarchal complementarianism was so primary like why even because, mention them right well, because the what answer i've heard to that is is that because the men when when men didn't step up uh women did god would use women so the disciples were afraid and you know cowering so god used women right um uh the the deborah who's the famous judge in the book of judges you know the the men weren't uh, stepping yeah. up, so God raised up a woman. Right. But I guess so, I'm saying, like, so how did it the survive the canon? It. Like, that's what I'm saying. But how well, did it... because it because it really happened, right? I mean, yeah. so so of even course. pointing to the women who saw Jesus first, that was very like politically not a good move if you're inventing a religion, as you know, right? Um, to have women be the first eyewitnesses, so it made it out because it actually happened that way. It's one of the reasons we actually believe the texts are trustworthy. They include embarrassing stuff, right? Right. But your but your question's interesting because. Um, were, were those examples, cause see what, what I've heard some say is that those examples are indictments against men. Whenever God had to use a woman, they were indictments against men. Mm. And, uh, okay. is that true? Right. You know, so I'm, I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, we have to go, but can I say one more thing? Of course. Okay. This is just important. Andy, I'll go fast. Yeah. Um, no, you don't have to go fast. You're good. Okay. When we were talking earlier, because I think a lot of the conversation around women, too, like like we had, focuses on, like, the sexual innuendos or, you know, like, being inappropriate and things like that. But one of the reasons why I think it's vastly important for men to be taught by women in, like, a seminary setting, A, like we broke down, it needs to be more a life application in a seminary setting, but even in a church setting to have women elders or even women teachers or mentors or models is regardless of that, like what about things that happen to women that try as they might, men can't understand. So for example, my husband and I, we both had a stillborn. My experience was completely different than his experience because the baby was inside me. So what I'm saying there is that if I had a woman pastor to go to and said, this is what she gets me. And a male pastor does not. And from going through an experience like that, that's like uniquely women. Yeah. We had these nurses in the room that ministered to me. And so when they said, do you want to call your pastor? We are in Denver and I only knew men. And I was like, Mm. no, because I just knew like, I don't want to explain this all to you. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to explain how I'm feeling. And these nurses are actually getting me more than I, you will. Yep. And so what's sad is that I think a byproduct of this whole conversation is we've often developed a culture where women feel like they have to suffer, grieve, figure it out, like in silence or by themselves. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And that's, that's not okay. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know oh, that's I mean? really good. That's really good. Yep. That, that's hard. That's the last word right there. Yeah, it good, is, Bonnie. Um. Well, great stuff, man. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it. We're grateful for uh, our friend Bonnie, and and I'm grateful. As I was looking around my bookshelves, I was like, oh man, I'm grateful for this woman and this woman and this woman and this woman. Um, there's some incredible scholarship being done, um, and uh, you know, I I, um, I grieve. Um, the fruit of this kind of thinking. Mm, um, yeah. And, and it's not that, you know, our view doesn't have its own problems. Of course it does. And abuses, of course it does. But I don't know. There's just something about, um, are we seeing the fruit of the view that men are spiritually superior? Um, hmm. You know, I, I just don't know. I just, it just seems like a lot, a, there's a lot of stuff coming to light. So I would say even without that, right? Like say none of that did. Yeah. There still yeah. is the lack of fruit of women in churches feeling That's heard right. and yeah. understood and yeah. um, feel like they have a place. You, you got know? it. Yep. So brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace or peas, depending. You may Maybe he needs to give you peas. Um, till next time, Andy, great job, Bonnie, great job. We appreciate being a part of your lives, guys. See ya. Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.